let me invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. All of us here have different capacities to remember things. Some of you here could go back 20 plus years and could remember in detail certain things that are just mind-blowing to the rest of us. Some of us don't even remember what we had for breakfast this morning. We're just trying to figure that out. Uh, when it comes to reading, for instance, there's a, there's a wide scope of remembrance that takes place. For instance, my wife can read a book. First of all, she does it very quickly. And second of all, she remembers everything. So she'll read a 300-page book. She'll remember something from the first chapter. Guys, I got to be honest. I can read one page, and at the end of the page as I'm turning, I'm asking myself, what, what, what did I just read? <laughs> like, we all have like different capacities to remember. Some of you remember vividly your childhood because you went through some traumatic stuff and you just can't get it out of your mind. It is blazing in there. Some of you don't remember your childhood for the very same reason. You, you're blocking it out of your mind. It was so traumatic that you chose, you, you, like you just can't remember. You've, you've blacked out those times of your life. Certainly all of us can relate to that of wanting to put certain memories out of our minds so that it doesn't lead us to a place of shame. But this morning, here in Ephesians chapter 2, there are, there are certain things that Paul wants us to remember. If you like titles, here's a title for you if you want to write it down. Remember the bad and the good of the gospel. Remember the bad and the good of the gospel. The reason he wants us to remember these things is because by doing so, it will result in greater joy in your lives. So let's jump into the text this morning. Follow along with me as I read Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the circum uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for your grace this morning. I thank you for the reminder that you are with us. No matter what we're going through, no matter the darkness that may try to hide you, Lord, you, you are in pursuit of your people. And you cling to us and you will never let us go. And so this morning, I, I want you to remind us of who we were apart from you, but Lord, only to the place where we are overwhelmed with joy at who we are now in Christ. Lord, would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, would you encourage us this morning? Would you give us great joy? Lord, would you bring unity, continued unity to our body? Lord, that we would be reminded that you saved us not just to become our own little, little cliques and our own little small. You, you've saved us to be part of the kingdom of God, the big C church. Lord, we need your help this morning. And so open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we looked at the beautiful transformation that took place in us. At one time, we were all dead in our sins, following after the world, following the devil, living by fully our flesh. We were destined to be objects of God's wrath. That, that's what we were. But God, what sweet words for us, who did not leave us dead in our sins but because of his rich mercy, his great love, his immeasurable grace, we were set free from sin. We are saved by grace through faith. And God's act of salvation was a gift for us. We aren't saved by anything good we can do. We're not saved because we're a good, a good person. The reason for that is so that no one could boast why did God save us? What was the person for God saving us? Let me remind you of what we looked at last week in verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And, and that re really leads us to verse 11. What's the first word there? Therefore. Of course, you know, when we see a therefore, we do what? See what it's there for. We look back. So in light of everything that I just said, because of God's rich mercy, because of his great love, because of his immeasurable grace, because you have been saved by grace through faith, in light of that, remember, he says. And here's the first thing Paul wants us to remember. Remember your past hopelessness. Remember your past hopelessness. Look at Verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, do you find this a little bit hard to believe that, that Paul would want, to, want, to, want them to rehash their whole history? Want to rehash how broken they were? Like, thanks, Paul. 
Thanks for reminding me how broken I am. Thanks, thanks for reminding me. Uh, you know, I'm here, I'm trying to get some happy thoughts in my mind, and you're, you're reminding me of everything that was broken about me, everything I'm trying to forget about. Thanks for helping me remember what it felt like to be looked down upon by the Jews. See, here's what we don't, we don't fully understand the context of here. I don't. Because there was a lot of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles here. See, the Jews were God's chosen people. They were the one that God chose to reveal himself to first. Jesus came born as a Jew. They had a lot of favorite things there, and many of the Jews grew up very arrogant, thinking somehow they had the corner on God and would be boastful. And so they would often look down on the Jews and make the Jews feel like nothing. The reason why we know it's Jews and Gentiles is because it talks about the uncircumcision and the, the group called the circumcision. Of course, we know that, the, that what circumcision is, right? Males, we don't need to go over this, do we? We just move past, right? Really what this was, in, in Genesis 17, God told Abraham to have all of the males circumcised. And, and this would be the mark of God's people, a covenant between God and his chosen people. You see, the Gentiles were excluded from this covenant. As a reminder, Gentiles are non-Jewish people, so most of us, if not all of us here, are in that category of Gentile. And so fast forward to the time of Christ, there was animosity between them, a level of spiritual superiority felt by many of the Jewish leaders. And so they looked down on the Gentiles. So what Paul is reminding you is something painful man you were you were separated you you had no hope verse 12 let's just read that again remember you were at that time separated from christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel so they had no ties to israel jerusalem meant nothing to them they they were they weren't part of the the jewish culture they weren't part of god's chosen people in the old testament and so certainly because of that they weren't covenant they weren't they were strangers to the covenants of promise, the promise of circumcision between Abraham and God. It's not something they knew of. They were on the outside looking in. They were without God. As we mentioned, in the Old Testament, God walked with the Jews, also known as the Israelites. God made the covenant with the Jews, and, and who was God often defeating to help the Jews out? It was the Gentiles. Certainly we can see here they were, they were hopeless. And Paul wanted them to remember their godless former life. Why is that? Two main reasons, two main benefits for us to remember the bad news of the gospel. The first thing is this, when we remember our former way of living, it leads us to a place of compassion. It, it leads us to a place where we remember what we used to be. And so when we looked at people who are at where we used to be, our hearts are affected by that. Our hearts are drawn. Our hearts are broken for them. You know, as a child, there were times when we did not have much as a family. My dad was a hard, blue-collar factory worker, worked hard, provided what he could for his family. My mom 
cared for four boys. If you can imagine what that house is like. Some of you do. <laughs> Things were hard and tough to come by. And I remember uh, one Sunday afternoon, I was invited to go to a South Bend White Sox game. How many of you remember when it was the, the White Sox in South Bend? For those of you who don't know, it's baseball. And if you don't know baseball, we'll, we'll pray for you after the service, all right? <laughs> Uh, and so my friend's dad worked for the White Sox, and so we got free tickets into the South Bend White Sox game. And I remember before we went, asking my parents if I could have some money, and, I, and I'll never forget my mom looking at her with tears in her eyes of saying, I, I, I don't have anything to give you, I'm sorry. And, and it affected me. It affected me that whole day of just nearly in tears of like, man, our, our family is struggling financially. Like, I can't even afford a hot dog at the game. Like, that stuck with me. Going on into our marriage, I remember when Nikki and I were early married and we were living in an apartment, um, actually on Cleveland Road in Bendix, if you know that area, in South Bend, there's a mire there. And, and one, one day we were digging through the parking lot looking for a couple pennies so that we could find a two liter of Coke. Remember when it was 99 cents, like, ages ago? And by God's grace, we found, we found 99 cents. We know what it is like to go and, and hold a $2 Dunkin' Donut coffee and be overwhelmed at God's provision. Wow, like, that was a sacrifice that we got to have. Why is that so helpful for us? Because when, when I approach other people who are in similar circumstances financially, there's a deep sense of compassion. Like, I, I can recall in the snap of a fingers, what it was like to not know if we were going to have enough money to pay rent. That literally happened. We had less money in our bank account when rent was due and two small kids at home. There's a sense of compassion that we have when we understand that. How much more beneficial is it to remember our sinfulness to remember who we were as unbelievers when it comes to interacting with other unbelievers. One, one of the things that breaks my heart about the church is how awful we can be to the world. When we start looking at unbelievers and expecting them to act like believers, why would an unregenerate person, why would somebody who does not love Christ have the same values of, as you? Why would we be surprised at society that thinks it's okay to kill a baby in the womb? Why would we think it's okay to, to think that you're a man when you're a woman or to think that you're a woman when you're a man? Why would we think that that's something strange to us? And then why would we so violently speak against these people? The reason we do that is because we forget who we were. Apart from God's grace, we would be killing babies in the womb. Apart from God's grace, we might think we're the opposite sex. Apart from God's grace, we might be attracted, we might even marry the same sex, and we'd celebrate it. But when we understand it's only by God's grace do we find ourselves where we're at, it leads us to a place where, gosh, I should be there. When we come across people who are throwing their lives away, and despite the wisdom that you try to give them, they have no words for you, and they get angry at you, and they walk away. That shouldn't lead us to a place of being angry at them. It should be, lead us to a place of angry at sin, angry at brokenness, angry at lostness, to lead us to a deep place of compassion that apart from God's grace, we would be exactly where they are. 
just to remind us of what our former way of life looked like, look again at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were, what? Dead. You had no life. No hunger for God. You weren't searching after God. You were completely separated from him. You were dead. That's what dead means. There's no response to life. There's nothing. There's no pulse for God. That's what we were apart from Christ. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work at the, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were objects of God's wrath. God's anger pointed straight at us, ready at our death, apart from repentance, to have it poured out on us. That's who we were. So brothers and sisters, when we encounter unbelievers who are living according to the passions of their flesh, carrying out the desires of their body, don't be surprised and don't be so angry and vicious towards them. Let it lead you to a place of compassion and desperately pleading that the Lord would open their eyes because he opened yours. Why should we remember? Because it leads us to a place of compassion. But there's another side of why we should remember. And really, I think this is the main point this is the main reason in the text here. The reason why he wants us to remember our former way of living is because it leads and results in overflowing joy. Paul isn't taking his thumb. You know how sometimes we do with people? Oh, remember when you did this? Remember when you did this? You're so bad and you deserve to, you should feel sorry for yourself. You should just beat yourself up. This is not what Paul's doing. He's not rubbing it in their face. Tone matters, doesn't it? He's not saying, you are, such, you are such a loser. No, he's saying, hey, man, you were so far off. Oh, the way you used to be. That should lead us in understanding who we were to overflowing with joy. I mean, you used to be a hot mess. We still kind of are, aren't we? <laughs> a little bit less of a hot mess than we were. But by God's grace, he's conforming us into the image of his son. One reason why it is so hard, one reason why I love to preach through whole books of the Bible is because you get the full picture. When it's, what's helpful for us to remember is we can share our stories because this is what exactly why God rescues us. Look at verse 7 from last week. Why did he save us and rescue us? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, when somebody comes to you and shares how God's rescued them from their sins, what does it do to you? Does it not stir up this incredible joy? Does it not reveal to, to you his immeasurable grace that has been poured out? Now, 
Not only do we need to remember God's grace in our lives for our own joy, but we get to share that story with others, and we get to hear their stories. And our testimonies and your testimonies, they proclaim God's immeasurable grace and kindness to those who are in Christ. When we remember our former selves, the hopelessness that we have, the godlessness that we experience, it is meant to lead us to great joy in Christ. Remember the bitter taste of your sin so that Christ will be all the more greater to you. Thomas Watson said it this way, until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. What Paul is saying is, listen, I want you to taste the sweetness of Christ. And here's how it's going to be sweeter to you. Remember who you were. Remember what you were like. Now, perhaps some of you may want to debate this point. Like, wait a minute here. Is it, this is why I don't like the Bible, because it says one thing in one passage and another thing in another passage. Because doesn't Paul in another passage say, I, for, I forgot I'm forgetting what lies behind. This is what Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and, and straining forward to what the, lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, the Bible speaks against itself. And to that, I would say, let's, let's look at the context. Let's consider the context in these passages and what. Paul is trying to communicate. Why does Paul say, remember the past in Ephesians, but in Philippians say, he's forgetting what lies behind? In Ephesians, remembering the past and what Christ has done with your past is meant to lead to joy. It's a celebration of where he has brought us from. It's to remember what Christ has done. The forgetfulness Paul is encouraging in Philippians is about not allowing your past to define your future. Don't allow your past to keep you from living for Christ now. Don't wallow in pity for what you have done for which hinders your walk with Christ. Don't, for, for, he said, forget about yesterday. Repent, yes, of your sins. Okay, you were short with your kids. That's not good. You were un, impatient with your wife. Okay, we can't do that. But repent and, and don't let that hinder you from keep moving forward. Those are the two things here. And so Paul wants us to remember our former hopelessness. Remember our past hopelessness. And this really leads into verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Not only does Paul want us to remember our former hopelessness, 
He also wants us to remember the good news of the gospel. Remember the good news of the gospel. See, Paul doesn't want us to lock us in a room and put pictures up and memorabilia to remind us of everything bad in our past. He only wants us to remember the past to make Christ all the more sweeter for us. Yet we, we may have at one time been far off from Christ, but he has brought us near. When we couldn't even see him, when we weren't even searching after him, God closed the gap by coming after us. We have been brought near to God. And here's the promise, brothers and sisters. If he's rescued you from your sins, he is always near. He will never leave you or forsake you. Notice, what does the text say about how we were brought near? By the blood of Christ. You know, the Bible is far from a PG rating. There's a lot of violence that we see here. And it took a violent act for us to be made right. His blood was spilt on the cross for the payment of the sins of every person who would ever believe. That's why I believe we will be singing about the blood of Christ forever. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Paul wants us to remember Again, it's not meant for shame. It's not meant for, I can't believe you. Do you realize what you did? You caused the perfect Savior to lose his life. Now Paul's like, listen, he gave his life willingly. He shed his blood for you to break down the wall of hostility. It's not meant to make us feel like losers. God, Paul's not wanting us to feel stupid about ourselves. Certainly, Certainly, the understanding of what our sin cost Jesus should bring a certain level of sobriety. Like there's a certain, certain times where all I could do is lay flat on the ground. But God's not lifting up his foot to push us down further. He's leaning down to pick us up. He's brought us near. At one time, there was hostility between God, but Jesus has brought us peace. I want you to notice something, though. This isn't just peace between us and God. It's also peace that he's brought amongst one another. Like, he, he's rescued us so that we can be in fellowship together. I mean, there's nothing sweeter than true Christian fellowship. And I'm not talking about everything is rosy and easy and colorful, but like when, when like you have a little bit of conflict and you have a disagreement, but through the blood of Christ, through remembering the gospel, you're able to work through that together and forgive one another and move forward. Man, there is nothing sweeter than that. That's what the blood of Christ has done for us. That's the good news of the gospel. Not only does it unite us with him, which is far greater than anything we could imagine, but a side bonus is now we can have fellowship and unity with one another. 
And when, just, just look at the change here. Look at the, the way Paul addresses the people first in 11 through 13. What does he say? Verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you, Gentiles. Verse 12, remember that you were separated from Christ. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off. So he, he's speaking to them. He's speaking directly to the Gentiles. But notice, it changes in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Look at the unity here that, we speak, that, that it speaks of too. Verse 15. He might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing the hostility. There was lots of hostility between man. But God has made a way for us to be made right together. See, this would... This, this, this news would have been crazy for the people to hear. What? You mean the Jews aren't better off because they're Jews? Paul's saying no. Listen, we're, the commandments, it says here, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed by ordinances, all the special rules that the Jews made up had not, that had nothing to do with the gospel, Jesus came and said, away with that. I bring a new covenant. The new covenant is now for everybody who repents of their sin and places their faith. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter who, uh, who your father was, who your mother was. It's for all people. This would, have, this would have been a radical message to the people. Remember, we have unity now with one another because of what Christ did on the cross. Jesus brought the covenant that said we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, not by works so that no one may boast. This message unifies us, doesn't it? I love Aaron Scholl. He's one of our elders here. And if I'm not careful, there are times where I could feel bad about myself because of just the way he lives his life. He, he is a doer. I mean, he just, he just knows how to get things done. <laughs> and and I, I look at sometimes my capacity, and my capacity comes nowhere near what he is able to do. But, but here's what keeps me from wallowing in self-pity when I'm around Aaron. Aaron understands his former hopelessness. He understands that one major slip-up, and he loses a lot. He understands that it's God's grace that has saved him and rescued him. And what I've come to realize, too, is that we have different strengths. He may be a strong doer. I'm a strong people person. Together, we're able to serve one another and help one another in that. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel, that it brings people who are different, who see the world differently, and we can get along. Typically in the world, if you've got a doer and you've got a people person, those, those can be in conflict. But by Christ's grace, this, this, is why, this is why marriage can thrive under Christ, right? In Jesus. Nikki and I are two pretty different people in certain areas. But by God's grace, when we live out the gospel, we remember who we were and remember who we are. It brings unity to us. So 
let me ask you, are you living a life that reflects the gospel? When you talk to people, is it clear you remember who you once were? Are you living a life of humility? Or do you think somehow that you are better than others because of the color of your skin? Or by how much money you have in the bank account? What job you have? Where you went to school? What kind of car you drive? Where you live? Are you quick to pull out your resume and remind people how awesome you are? Or are you somebody who likes to remind your wife how amazing it is to be married to you? <laughs> Reminds me of a story that Paul Tripp said. Paul Tripp was an, is an author, one of my favorite authors, just very gospel-centered. And in a moment of conflict with his wife years ago, he, he looked at her and said, as he, when he was, he was a pastor at the time, he said, you know what? 95% of the women in our church would love to be married to me. And his wife looked back at him and said, consider me part of the other five. <laughs> That's forgetting the gospel. That's forgetting who you were in Christ. I've never said that to you, Nikki, have I? Okay, good. The gospel reminds us that we all desperately need God's grace. Nobody comes higher to the cross than others. Nobody comes needing Jesus a little bit less than somebody else does. We, all, we are all desperate. We are all utterly lost apart from him. Remember your hopelessness that was there. Remember the good news of the gospel. And really, it flows right into verse 18. Look at that again. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Remember your former hopelessness. Remember the good news of the gospel. And lastly, remember God saved you to be part of a family. God saved you and gave you a new family. I, I just, noticed, just notice the references to unity here in these last few verses. Verse 18, we both. Verse 19, no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Verse 21, in whom the home structure being joined together. Verse 22, being built together. Part of the good works that God has laid out for us in advance that we should walk in him is walking in unity. Living out the gospel together. Showing a desperate, dead world what it looks like to be alive in Christ. He saved us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Brothers and sisters, it's not about you. And this is what makes living in our world so challenging because we live in such an individualistic world. And this is why people may come to church but refuse to genuinely walk with other believers in a more intimate setting. I'm not sure why believers are okay thinking they can come to church and leave and not have any other connections with any other believers. Perhaps 
the reason why is you've been hurt. Maybe you've tried to live in community and unity. Maybe it involves confessing sins and then Christians turn their back on you and use it against you. If that's you, let me just say I'm sorry. That is not the way Christ has called his church to live. And I also want to remind you what verses 11 through 17 say. Remember how hopeless you were because of your own sin, but God, remember that God saved you apart from you contributing anything but your own sin. Don't let what others may think of you keep you from confessing sins. If they look down on you, if they leave you, if they depart from you, if they shame you, listen, I believe God will have his judgment on them in some form or fashion. He'll discipline, he disciplines those he loves. You find your identity not in what you've done in the past, but what Christ has done for you that's already finished. You're already considered holy. You're already considered as sitting in the heavenlies. The work has been done. You've been saved. You've been justified once and for all. Don't allow what other people think of you to determine how, what, or, or what you do not confess to others. God has called us to live in unity. It says here that he is making us into his dwelling place. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Do you know what a cornerstone is? A cornerstone is like the first thing you do with a house. It's like, it's like everything goes off of the cornerstone. What happens if you get a cornerstone wrong? You could imagine everything is off, right? It's like, it's like if you were to shoot an arrow. Now, if, if I were to shoot, I said I want to shoot you. If I were to shoot this water bottle right there, do I have a little bit of give of being off? Like, I, I could be off like half an inch, right? If I'm aiming for the middle, I could probably be half an inch off and still get it. But if I'm aiming out into the parking lot and I'm a half an inch off, am I going to hit my target by the time it gets there? And the further you get going, the further away from the target you get. So that's why it's so important that as we are walking together in our marriages, in small groups, in fellowship with other believers, that we have the true cornerstone of Christ. This is why we can't get the gospel wrong. It's why we must remember who we were in Christ and who we are so that we get the cornerstone right. And when the cornerstone is right, everything else falls in place. We are being joined together into a holy temple in the Lord, built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Together, together, one another. God's created us to be doing life together. And we see this all throughout scripture, this, the importance of doing life together, the importance of calling each other out when we get off track. Listen to just a couple of scriptures. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Like Paul was passionate about seeing the people of God mature. He toiled. That's not a, I'll give it a little bit of effort. He was, he was blood, sweat, and tears. Seeing people run away from God, but doing everything he could to try to bring them back. 
He wanted to see the people mature in Christ. And it's hard, right? Like, community is messy. Nobody wants, first of all, we struggle to call people out for sin. But if we're good at it, we're usually good at doing it without grace and humility. Like, and if we're, if we're not willing to do that, we're going to set ourselves up for fa- failure. Consider what 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. We like some of those, don't we? Oh, I'll admonish the idle. But what's the last line there say? Be patient with them all. Here's how, here's how it usually happens. I, I, can, I get faint-hearted. I get weak. I can be patient with them. The angry, nope, I got, I, I got patience for that. I, I struggle with the, those, who, those who are angry. But if you're an angry person and God's helped you with that, who are you more likely to have compassion on? The angry. So I got to understand that, look, my, my faint-heartedness is sometimes because I just choose not to believe the truth of God's word. I am no better off than the angry person at times. And this is, this is why we got to be so patient with one another. This is why we got to be pursuing one another. All, of, all throughout God's word, we see this call for unity. We're going to see it when we get to Ephesians 4. Just look there real quick with me. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore... In light of everything I just said in in Ephesians 3, in light of your salvation by grace through faith in Christ, in light of you being my workmanship, wanting you to walk in good works, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. There's three words, three words that we all need help on. Bearing with one another in love. You might as well throw bearing in there. What, what happens often when you're offended by somebody? What is the typical way the world responds? Psst, I'm done with you. Man, I am so sick of the Facebook posts that say, you don't need to be hanging out with somebody who, like, if you do me wrong, then, I'm gonna, then I don't need you in my life kind of stuff. And I see it from Christians, too. Like, can we stop that? Like, what if Christ said, you know what, I don't need you. You've disobeyed me enough. I'm done with you. I don't need to put, I don't need that in my life. What if Christ treated us the way sometimes our Facebook posts read? Man, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? God calls us to bear with one another. Eager. I love that word. Eager, verse 3, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That, like, he's, like, this is like, be at the tip of your toes, ready to jump into unity. I want to jump in and make this thing unified as much as possible. This is why Matthew 18 is so important. We often look at it as, as church discipline passage. I don't like that. Is, is the goal, should the goal of the church be to discipline people in the church? Or should the goal be reconciliation? I like, this is the church reconciliation plan more than the church Discipline. Because we think of discipline, we're like, let's get him out of the church. What do we need to do to get this guy out of the church? He sinned? All right, let's confront him. Oh, the first time we confront him, he didn't repent, he's out. What does the scripture say? If a brother offends you, do what? Go to him. One-on-one. Don't get your friends involved. Don't go to your small group and say, I got this problem with this person. Now, sometimes that may be necessary. I'm not down on that. But, like, often we have to be careful that that's not a prayer of gossip, a request of gossip, first go to the person if they've offended you. 
You know what happens often? They've, people offended us and they had no idea. And we like to make a bigger deal of it. I do. I get my feelings so hurt sometimes and I'm like, back off, man. Chill out. This is, this is not worth it. Go to the person. And if that doesn't work, what should you do? Be done. I went. That's it. Is that what the scriptures say? Bring somebody else. Bring another witness. And if, that's done, if that doesn't work, you're done, right? No, then it actually says, come to the church. And if there's no repentance, that's when you cast them out and treat them as an unbeliever. But not to rub their thumb in it, but you long for their repentance. And so what do you do? You're trying to get their eyes open to the truth. Far too often we're offended once and we're not, we're not striving for unity. A pastor offended me. I'm out. Listen, I, I'm sure I've offended some of you before. Believe me, it's not my goal. I don't, I don't sit and just kind of go through the roster of the church. All right. How can I offend Terry today? Ha <laughs> I got it. I don't look at the passage and think, what, what kind of radical statement can I be to make sure I offend as many people as possible? Like, that's, that's not how I roll. That's not my desire. But you know what? Like, I still live in the flesh. My flesh still reigns sometimes. To strive and be eager for unity means you're looking for peace. If somebody offends you, work it out. Be gracious, understanding that you are an offender as well. There may come to the place where extreme measures may need to be taken. There may come a place where it does get ugly, but don't let it be ugly from your standpoint. The gospel rescues us to put us in a body so that we can serve one another. It's another reason why I believe membership is important. And I encourage you, if you're not a member of, of this church, pursue it. If this is not the church where you want to be a member of, I encourage you, find a place where you can call it your home. Because when we say, I'm a part of this church, what we're saying is like, I'm linking arms with these believers. I want to do life with these believers. I want to commit to admonishing, exhorting, encouraging, and helping other believers. I'm going to come under the, the authority of the elders as scripture calls us to do. Because we want to move forward. And isn't it, isn't it just a wonderful testimony when we get along together. It's so foreign to the world. Also remind you what 1 Peter 4.10 says, we read, looked at it last week, but it talks about the fact that everybody has been given a gift. Every believer has been given a gift in order to do what? Serve one another. We can't make church an event we attend. God calls us to more than that. He saves us and puts us in the family of God. So let me ask you, when you think of the church, what do you think of? Is it an event that you attend? Or is it your people? What a special unity we have. I think of, I look at many of your faces and realize I wouldn't know half you guys apart from Christ. We're so different in so many ways, but because of Jesus, we have this unity. Are you reflecting that? 
unity. This morning, Paul wants to remind you, remember, God saved you to be part of a family. We better end this thing because I hear some noise in the kids' room over here. <laughs> Let me lead you with some action steps. I encourage you to take some time. Memorize Ephesians 2.13. Says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hide that word in your heart. Remember who you rem- who you were. Remember who you are. Uh, read Ephesians three. Uh, get ahead of the game. Be prayerful, Lord. What would you have for us? Get yourself familiar with it. It goes a long way when you're able to to kind of look at a passage in advance and then have prayed over it and let it be your devotion, soaking in it. And then when you come to church and somebody's preaching through it, you've already kind of wrestled through a little bit. Uh, really encouraging for you to do that. And then thirdly there, and honestly, this could be there every week. I think last week we had something very similar. Remember the gospel. Remember the bad. Remember what you were. Remember the good. Christ brought you out of death to life. He, he saved you to be part of a body to unify you. Remember the gospel. And then lastly, live in community. Look to serve one another. We have kids ministry gaps. Look to serve one another by praying. Look to serve one another, listen, by going across the aisle and shaking a hand. I, I, I think I shared this one time, but there was a, a couple that visited our church. This was several months ago. And I met her before the service, and then I met her after. I think I, I don't know what we said. Hey, I hope you were encouraged. And, and she looked at me almost, I th- I'm pretty sure she had tears in her eyes. She was, she was an older lady, probably maybe in her 70s. And she looked at me and said, you know what, we have visited many churches over the last few several weeks, this is the first church where anybody ever said hi to me. Man, may that, may that not be the case here. So that's your challenge. Find somebody you don't know, just say hi. Even that goes a long way. Live in community. Serve. Commit to the church. Let me invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray us out here. Lord, I thank you for your grace, for your mercy. I thank you for all that you've done for us. God, I pray that you would help us to remember who we were, not to the place of shame, not to the place where we beat ourselves up, but Lord, just to a place where we are overwhelmed by your grace. Lord, that it would lead us to a place where we have compassion on those around us, Lord, that it would lead us to joy of how sweet it is to be known by you. God, we need you. Lord, I pray that we would be eager to pursue unity. That you would be reminded, you would remind us, Lord, not to keep our head down to the plow and only worry about ourselves and our own little families, but we would remember we've been saved to be a part of a bigger community. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy that unites us. Thank you for the blood of Christ that was spilled for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.